put yeah just yeah and then i'll send it to you in a bit yeah okay all right well uh greetings so th thanks for speaking with me today uh can you just for the uh record please state your name and title what do i say for a title uh yes first name tiffany last name brown and my title is um faculty and director at the university of oregon so can you tell us what led to your becoming a therapist and working with athletes? Yeah, I spent a great amount of time working um, with kids early on in my career and found that the time with kids meant learning a lot about what was happening in family environments and needing additional support. So it felt really important to me to go and get training to be able to do that work specifically. Um, and it evolved over time with athletes being able to uh, be brought into conversations with the University of Oregon athletic program and helping them really think about the role of mental health. Um, and so I was kind of just put into those conversations in those rooms based on contacts and just a passion for athletes and sports. Hmm. So how, how did you connect with uh, with Katie then? So our work really intersected knowing about both of our interests around athletes. In fact, the early kind of conversations that we had, um, knowing that we we're both clinicians and both passionate about the experiences of athletes, we spent a great deal of time talking about that specific experience of post-sport for athletes and feeling kind of lost and not sure what to do now that competition is over. Um, so our time together was really focused on that particular moment in time for an athlete. And that has since blossomed into really thinking about the whole longevity of an athlete's career. Mm. Well, she has, I mean, she has quite a powerful story. I mean, you know, I was reading the book and, you know, I mean, coincidentally, she went to the University of Oregon, which she just mentioned. So, I mean, did you know her when she was, was at the school? Yeah, so she did. She studied there and we worked really closely together um, as she was studying and um, were able to cross paths uh, quite a bit in her early career um, as a therapist. And then that really allowed us to have a good platform for us to get into kind of the professional pieces of where our work really collided professionally, leading us to, you know, really think together about how to combine our forces for good to support um, athletes' mental health. Hmm. So, I mean, did, did you know of the troubles she was having when she was at the university? That's a really great question. You know, we had talked generally about some of the things that she was dealing with um, as an athlete, but I think as Katie would, you know, speak to and has in the book, um, she herself wasn't really putting a lot of the kind of pieces together of her experience. And so we weren't talking about it as explicitly which as we talk about in the book is such a common um, practice for athletes who have such significant trauma during their athletic careers that it usually takes some time for that to simmer and kind of process and make sense before it's uh, kind of makes sense to be able to talk about it with other people and, and for that to be something that's a part of the dialogue. Hmm. Does, I mean, in, in light of, you know, what happened to her there? Has anything sort of changed at the university? Do they do anything differently now, like in the athletic program? 
Well, that's a really good question. I think that, you know, the University of Oregon Athletic Program has tried a couple different things to shift um, their approach to mental health in terms of athletes. And, you know, Katie can speak a little bit more to her, you know, influence in that respect. Um, I think one of the, the main components of athletic departments is really being able to turn towards a real systematic shift and change, um, really looking across all sports, across men's and women's programs. Um, and for that to be something that is on coaches and athletic directors and, and the staff itself, not just providing more support or um, resources for athletes, which tends to be the way that a lot of athletic departments go, which is useful, but doesn't get at the heart of the issue, which is kind of from the top down. Well, it sounds like progress is being made. Um, tell, tell me about Athletes Mental Health Foundation. So the Athletes Mental Health Foundation is um, kind of our uh, charge to uh, support athletes, coaches, parents, anyone who's connected to an athletic program um, to have the tools and resources in order to be looking at and be um, navigating kind of the mental health and well being of any athlete who's active in sport. So, our intention is to be both um, consultants and teachers and to provide as much information as we can so folks can go into their athletic systems and be um, kind of change makers themselves. And what, what is the need for that? Like, like what, you know, what, what, what's going on with kids in sports these days? Yeah, I really love that question because I think there's so much. Um, and at the same time, we often, part of the problem is we often focus a lot on, you know, is that team good? Are they winning? What's their record? And we miss out on the well-being of the athlete. So it's not a new problem. Um, athletes have been talking about their experiences within athletic programs and, and teams for, you know, decades. But what's happening at this point, I think, is a more sophisticated conversation where uh, we're learning the intricacies of what happens when we turn away from the anxiety that athletes are experiencing because they're afraid of their coach um, or, you know, the well-being of an athlete because they're overloaded and overwhelmed as a student, as a family member, as a, you know, sister, brother. And now they're also having to kind of do the things they need to do as an athlete. And so, the problem that we're hoping to really solve is to acknowledge how important mental health is and well-being for athletes and that just because someone's an athlete doesn't mean that they don't have mental health needs and really provide that toolbox of strategies so that it's a, a mental health need isn't preventing someone from um, going after their dreams as an athlete in sport. And why is it so hard uh, for, for athletes or anyone to talk about mental health? Yeah, I think, you know, I don't know that we do a great job uh, as, you know, helping anyone talk about anxiety and depression and uh, trauma and their fears. Um, and I think especially with athletes, the, um, the focus is often like mind over matter and have this mental toughness to be able to get through and do the things that sport demands. Um, you know, for example, you know, you and I might be able to go out for a run, but to be able to go for, you know, a 10 mile run multiple times a week while we're training as an athlete has a particular mental toll, um, an emotional toll on somebody. 
So what we're really wanting to get after is to help athletes know that, you know, the mind over matter and mental toughness is really helpful to be able to have the grit and tenacity to be um, a high performing athlete. And in order to have the performance that people really want to have and to seek the dreams and the accomplishments that they're hoping for, nourishing themselves and taking care of themselves along the way and, you know, really looking at their mental health as a part of that will enable them to get to those performance uh, hopes and dreams that they have. Any idea what percentage of athletes do reach out to mental health providers? We know right now that it's close to like 10% um, and that it's a very low amount of people that have um, either access and or reach out even if they have access. Oftentimes when that's happening, it's because something significant has occurred. They've had a really terrible panic attack. Um, they're feeling suicidal. And so oftentimes it's at a moment of crisis where it's really difficult sometimes to feel like you can have a really swift action in a moment of crisis. So Katie and I's hope is to, you know, really give people the tools to understand the signs and symptoms um, sooner so that strategies and, um, and tools to kind of mitigate some of that intensity can happen sooner than later so it doesn't interrupt sport. Hmm. Oh, that sounds awesome. Um, so what, what about the national sports organizations? Like how, how do you grade their efforts to promote net, uh, mental health? Uh, and are you speaking with any of them? Like, how can you help them? The, you know, the hope is that those conversations will happen and those doors will open as, as people start having more and more of these conversations. And, you know, Katie and I are poised and ready and knocking on those doors as we speak in hopes that, um, you know, we can be invited in to, to really look at what the leagues are doing in order to promote well-being of athletes. We know that there's lots of leagues that have turned away from what was needed. You know, USA Gymnastics is a great example. Um, it took a really major outcry from athletes to get a shift and change within the system in terms of, um, you know, the Nasser case and what was happening in terms of sexual assault of athletes. So from our standpoint, you know, I would say a lot of leagues and a lot of organizations would get a pretty low grade. Um, and, and the hope would be that that they see that as a solvable problem. And we're here with a, a set of solutions in order to support those organizations to do better and not be only focused on money or only focused on wins and losses, but to really be committed um, to the well-being of the athletes that they support. I was just wondering if you saw the, the story about uh, Canada hockey yesterday. Um, there uh they were made made headlines um, because uh, their their Canadian national team uh, back in 2018, um, <clears throat> I guess five five when they were 19 years old, five members of that team sexually assaulted a woman in a hotel, and um, Canada hockey, which is the equivalent of USA hockey. Uh, buried it. They did everything they could to bury that story for the last five years. And, um, that, you know, some media were, were persistent and, um, you know, an investigation was finally, uh, uh, you know, started. And yesterday, um, the Canadian, you know, national police, um, 
said that five members of that team have to report and turn themselves in for arrest. So all four of the five players are in the NHL. Um, you know, two on my team here in New Jersey and, you know, uh, a couple other teams around the, around the country. So, you know, it's clear that these sports, you know, governing bodies, you know, they, they, they don't seem to care about their athletes, you know, like they, or, or, you know, people that their athletes hurt. It's, it's pretty shocking. Yeah. I think what's so sad and, um, upsetting about that story is that, it's not a new story for a big sports league to um, protect its image and protect its interests at the cost of protecting young women. And, you know, specifically in a case where time and energy went to bury a story versus taking um, an opportunity to, you know, uh, be front and center in supporting someone through a really traumatic experience such as that. And that's where we're hoping to make some change is that the standards and the ethics and the values that people claim to have and say that they have are actually enacted on a daily basis in terms of where the energy goes of protecting, whether it's protecting an athlete because they did something wrong or protecting an athlete because they deserve kind of access to mental health support. Yeah, no. Um, so so uh, tell me about your upcoming book. Yeah, we're so excited. We have a book that's coming out on uh, June 18th. It's called The Price She Pays. And it's really an expose on what happens in terms of uh, women and their mental health in the sports arena. And we look at um, the development of the athlete from kind of the budding young girl who's looking to, you know, start sport all the way to um, high achieving, high performance um, professional female athletes. And so our intention is to really give a, uh, or the book gives a rundown of what the common experiences are and what the mental health um, kind of needs are, while also really ensuring that we're offering solutions to all the problems that we identify throughout the book. So these are stories of real athletes then? Absolutely. We interviewed hundreds of, of real athletes and um, and coaches and family members and really took their stories and integrated them into um, what, what will be read as a significant amount of heartache um, and, and disappointment when people have had to leave sport because they haven't been able to get access um, for their mental health needs or for the traumas that they experience because of the power of the sport. Are there any notable names in the book that we should know? There are a few notable names. Um, and I think it'll be, you know, that's part of the fun of getting that book and opening it on up and 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 reading on, uh, you know, who's who's talking about and sharing the things that have happened to them across, you know, track and women's basketball. And, um, you know, we look at soccer and uh, I mean, every sport, uh, we were really intentional of making sh making sure we were looking at every sport so that it's not just a story of one particular set of athletes and and type of sport too. Oh, great. Can't wait to get it. So, so what's your favorite story in the book? Yeah, I would say there's, there's a story in the book um, of an athlete who, when, when she was young um, and experienced a significant amount of trauma within her own household. So she came into sport um, as a refuge and a place to experience 
something different than the chaos and trauma that was happening within her family and, you know, really abusive history and sport gave her, you know, connection and skills and people and, you know, allowed her to achieve a lot of the dreams that she set forth. She had a little bit of trouble coping with what was happening within her family. Um, she made it to a division one softball team. And um, after she started there, she really struggled with self-harming as a way to cope with the trauma that she experienced. And we talk in depth about what self-harm is and what it isn't. But the part of her story that I love so much is what she has kind of done with her life since then, even though once her coach learned about um, her self-harming behavior, asked her to leave the team, told her to go get treatment, that she could come back to the team when, when she was better. She did all the things that was asked of her. Um, and they never let her back on the team. <laughs> and so this particular story is not a, not a unique story. We've heard that over and over and over again, where somebody has had a, a pretty significant mental health need as people do. Um, and they've sought out services and treatment, um, and they're not allowed back on the team. And sometimes that not allowed back on the team looks like no phone calls, no interaction, not calling the athlete back. And so it's a really significant loss on top of an already difficult situation. So um, Rhonda's story is one of my favorites, just knowing what she endured and how she kept, you know, turning towards sport to find connection and really details how beautiful sport can be for people, but also um, how absolutely devastating sport can be for people too. Yeah, that sounds like a powerful story. Do you do you like talk about what the university or you know what the the coaches could do differently next time? Do you make those kind of recommendations in the yeah, book? Yeah, yeah, that I love that you asked that. That's a I think when we started writing this book, it was really important that we didn't just identify all the problems, but that we spend a good amount of time um, detailing the solutions. And so we talk about you know what we wish coaches would do in those situations, what parents can do. Um, if they're parenting, uh, an athlete who's going through that and then also what the athlete can do themselves. That sounds amazing. And that comes out June 18th, you said? Yeah, June 18th, 24. Awesome. Um, is there anything else you want to tell us about the book? Everything. <laughs> That's Okay. <laughs> That's the stumper. I don't know how to answer. No, it's actually not. The favorite book was the stumper. Katie looked like a deer in the headlights when I asked her that question. So, but you had an answer, so that was good. I'm proud of you. For the favorite story of the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there, there was a story. I, 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 another news story I came across yesterday. I just couldn't believe it. Out of Toronto, I don't know what's going on in Canada, but there was a. Story. I know. I love Canada. It makes me so sad to know that things are bad are happening there. This this was just a crazy story in that there was a 50-year-old biological male who identifies as a preteen girl, and the authorities up there allowed him to compete at a swim meet against 13-year-old girls. And that includes like using the locker room with the 13-year-old girls. So like, like what's going on there? Like, is it, isn't that, that's gotta be harmful to the girls, 13 year old girls, mental health. No. Wow. That's a really good question. I mean, I, in many ways we don't, we need to learn a lot more about what's happening there. Um, 
And there's a lot about that story that I think is, is intriguing. And, you know, we probably are going to turn our attention to learn what's happening. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear kind of what the rationales are and maybe what the actual experiences are of um, the girls that are involved. Um, I think that's kind of the, the take that is really important for Katie and I, and especially with the Athletes Mental Health Foundation, is we want to continuously be asking the questions of the people that we say we're, we're talking about. So rather than making assumptions that we know what's happening, you know, we want to turn towards athletes and ask them directly, what is this like for you? What's happening? What do you need? So I don't want to assume one way or another what that experience is. I would want to find avenues to be able to give voice to those experiences um, and really learn more about what's happening so that we're working with actual information. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And what, what really shocked me about the story was that none of the parents spoke up at that event. Um, but, you know, in, in, in interviews afterwards, they all said how terrified their girls were of, of you know, sharing the locker room and competing against a 15, 50 year old man. So, you know, like, the, you know, what, you know, how much are like parents, like, like, what are the role of parents in situations like this? I mean, like, do you have advice on that or? Yeah, I think, you know, it's tough for parents to know that their kids are having a hard time and to feel that kind of powerlessness of, you know, what to do about it. Um, you know, I think for parents to be able to give voice to their experiences, part of what matters to us around anything related to mental health. So if we're not giving space and voice to um, really understand what people are managing, dealing with questions they have. Um, then we really miss out on, you know, being able to attend to it. So in a situation like this, I'd really want to know, you know, what avenues have been provided, what conversations are happening, who's being included in those conversations, who's not being included in those conversations. Um, seems like a really great opportunity to turn towards something that feels like a little messy. We're not really sure what to do with it and, and really unpack it and understand it some more rather than making really quick assumptions about what is or isn't going on for any one person that's involved. All right, uh, that, that, that's fair, absolutely fair. So uh, anything else you wanna add about the book or the foundation that our listeners should know? I think just check us out. We're really excited about the work that we're doing. And um, you know, one of the things that we feel strongly about is that we too are excited to get people's feedback and just like we're trying to offer others. And so ideas or needs that people have, let us know. Um, and we'll do our best to accommodate and make sure that we're having conversations that aren't happening happening in other spaces. And how can they find you? Uh, check us out on Instagram at the Athletes Mental Health Foundation. Uh, and then also the athletesmentalhealthfoundation.org on our website. Those are the two primary places to find us. Great. Well, thanks so much for your time today and uh, best of luck with the book. How'd I do? You did very well. Um, a lot of your answers were great. Um, I, I really liked a lot of the answers. A couple of them, um, state your name and title. <laughs> the simplest question. Well, because I don't know what title. I feel like I have like 10 titles. So I yeah, gotta. I like gen genuinely need to figure out how to say that. Yeah. Well, for interviews about the foundation and book, I would stick with the foundation and the book. You know, you okay. roll with the foundation and the author of so the, for the uh, foundation, I'd be saying I'm the chief science officer of. OK, yeah, yeah, yeah.
I, I wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll set, I will have sent all these journalists information about your you know role at the university and stuff, but for the purpose of this, like we want to really focus on the foundation and the, the book. So, yeah. So I would, um, I thought that you, you handled the Katie questions. Well, um, that, that was well done. Um, I asked, uh, I asked what, what's, um, you know, what's the need I, I asked, um, in terms of, you know, young athletes and mental health. I would love to hear some stats there. Yeah, um, I thought that, some, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you said the stat later because I, I asked the specific question. You you gave the 10% seek out mental health care. So, but like that, that's, you know, what's the need is a perfect place to start, like just rattling off some stats. Okay. Uh, I love that you had, you know, your favorite story because I said, Katie, Katie had no answer for that question. <laughs> it was fun. So well done there. Um, yeah, that, that Toronto one, I just threw in there as like a wacky question. I mean, it is yeah. a true story, which is like yeah. crazy, but I, I like the way you handled that. I don't have enough information, you know, but you know, there needs to be important conversations going on. Like that's a great, great answer for that. Cool. Uh, and then, um, yeah, like uh, anything else you, you want to tell us about the book? Um, it's always good just to have something in your back pocket there yeah. that you might not have covered, um, but that was fine. Uh, but yeah, oh, yeah, very well, very well done um, for sure. So uh, I can, if you can send me a link to that, I can kind of transcribe that and Katie's and then we can kind of all go over them together. 